Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. I am excited to be here today. What's special about today is I am, I love this uh, series that we're in, uh, not because uh, it's anything I made up, but you know, I try to get my stuff from the Bible, um, which is pretty helpful for us. Uh, so so I, I don't want to take much credit for this. This is God's idea through, through his uh, through his son Jesus Christ, gives us all kinds of good information that we can take in and learn in church and learn together, learn on our own and, uh, and take his word. And so we started this series last week called uh, Choose Joy. And I love this because it really is a choice. Joy is something that we, uh, we can go through our lives. And we talked about this last week. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, maybe you missed last week, you're on vacation or something like that. The wonderful thing about having sermons online is you can go back, find them, and then you can listen to them. So I encourage you, go backwards. Go back to last week if you missed last week's sermon and dive into that. Um, I would love for you to, to, to hear that because it really was the opening uh, sermon for all this, but I'll give you the highlight just in case you're like, I'm not going to watch it. Um, good try, Pastor Rob. Uh, here it is. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a foundation. Joy is not a feeling, joy is a foundation. So we unpacked that last week, and we'll continue to unpack that. So here's what we got to figure out. We are called, and we're told, and we have things, and we've seen the slogans like on the wall, enjoy. We're on purpose as Christians. We should be on mission as Christians. We should be doing everything in joy as Christians. So when we hear that, we look at the circumstances of our life, and we begin to think, well, how do I live in joy in the circumstance that I am in because I just don't feel joyful? And this becomes the issue is I don't feel joyful because we think a lot of times joy is connected to just feelings of happiness or feelings of satisfaction, which is true. There's a measure of a feeling of joy, but joy is not primarily a feeling as a Christian. Joy primarily as a Christian is a foundation on which we stand, a foundation that's found in Jesus Christ. So we talked about that last week. And with this is all being pulled out of John chapter 15, and uh, we're looking in John 15, and verse 11 in John chapter 15 is where Jesus says to the disciples, I desire for you to live in my joy so that your joy will become full or complete so we can actually realize that we can have a fullness of joy in this life as we walk through this life, and that's the mystery, Right? Sometimes we think, man, I don't know if I could live in joy because you don't know what I'm going through, Pastor. You, would, you wouldn't say, hey, be joyful in the midst of this if you knew this was happening in my life. However, Jesus says we can walk in this world and live in such a way that we have fullness of joy. Our joy can be complete here in this world. How does that take place? Well, that's what Jesus is telling us in John chapter 15. So let me pray for us because I need a little prayer today. I always need a little prayer. We can always use that. And uh, let's just bow. If you're at home, bow your heads with us. If you're here, bow your heads with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're going to do as we lean into your word, as we lean into the gospel truth that you have given us 
We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a fullness of joy. Help us recognize that if we don't have this joy, how we can have this joy and where this joy is to come from. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you for what you're going to do. I pray as people are watching now, maybe they're watching later, as those who are in the room, Lord, wherever we're at right now, that we can just pause for a moment and we can just ask you and invite you, your Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts, our lives, and our minds today as we lean into a greater understanding of joy. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think it's fair to say that most of us in the room are probably would not describe ourselves as farmers um, or horticulturalists. Uh, that's, a, that's a word there, uh, I think. And uh, if it was the right word, you know, the idea of uh, plants and, and being a, someone that's a, an expert in raising uh, like a plant. So we're speaking specifically in John chapter 15, looking at a vineyard. I don't know how many of you, just by show of hands, you can raise your hand at home too. Uh, I won't see it, but you can do it just because that's fun to interact. Um, how many of you have ever walked through a vineyard? At least you've walked through a vineyard. You've seen some grapes up close, right? All right, good. That's a, that's a good amount. And if your hand went down when I said grape, you didn't know what a vineyard was. You're like, oh, grapes. Maybe I haven't been through a vineyard. Um, but so in a vineyard, uh, there are grapes. So for us, as I walk through a vineyard today, there's, there's not a lot that I connect with until this sermon series, which then I, what, I've, YouTube's a wonderful thing sometimes. I've watched lots of videos on grapevines and how to care for grapevines, trying to figure out the connection that Jesus is making here. Some of the things that we don't know in our culture, because we don't live in the same culture as the disciples did, it doesn't immediately connect with us. However, for the disciples walking through, and in that time, there was a little bit more personal, up-close interaction with the farming community, all right? They knew a little bit more, probably, than the average person today does about raising plants or growing plants, working in a vineyard, understanding what that was. So when Jesus is taking them into this vineyard and they're walking on, on the way, so we talked last week, this introduction, how this led up to it, this period in time right here is Jesus left the Last Supper with his disciples and now they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, these are Jesus' last hours on earth with his disciples and he's saying to them, hey, time is short. What I'm going to share to you now, and understand that if Jesus had a couple hours left on earth, you would want to lean in very closely to what he's going to say. Just imagine someone that's passing away that you love, and they've got a few more hours left, and they, they, say, they kind of point their finger, and you lean in, and they start telling you, you want to listen, you want to glean from what they have to say, because that's going to be important. This is the situation with the disciples and Jesus, so he's walking with them, to the Garden of Gethsemane, they stop in a vineyard, and you can picture this, and Jesus grabs this grapevine, and he begins to have a conversation with them. And in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus starts the conversation, and he says, I am the true grapevine. The Father is the vine dresser, or the Father is the gardener. So he begins this conversation. Now we, today, we read this and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're good with this, right? Because if we're Christians or we've been in church for a while, we can say, yeah, that's awesome. You know, we're in Jesus, Jesus the, the vine. And then in verse 5, he says, we're the branches. He puts, you know, gives us significance in there that we are the vine, we are in him. God is the gardener, paints this picture. However, the picture that was just 
painted for the disciples who are Jewish, of the Jewish religion, children of Israel, the picture that was just painted for them was something that would have gone against everything they understood about the Jewish religion in the Jewish custom, the Jewish culture, the Old Testament as they knew it. Because Jesus just said something that flew in the face of what they had learned as they were brought up as Jews within the Jewish religion. So if you have a Bible, or it'll be on the screen, if you look in, in John or excuse me, in Psalm chapter 80. So Jesus, just imagine Jesus grabs this grapevine and he picks it up and he says, I am the true grapevine. Now, here's the comparison or here's the contrast for the Israelites. In, in Psalm chapter 80, these kind of verses, Pastor Mark read one a few minutes ago, these kind of verses are what they would be recalling to their minds at this point when Jesus called himself the true grapevine. In John chapter, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 80, verse 8. Here's a, a song that's being sung by, by a, you know, a, the nation of Israel, basically. A, a song for them to sing. It says, you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove us away from the pagan nations. You transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root, and we filled the land. So the nation of Israel, in their mind, they are the grapevine. They've always been compared to the grapevine. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, they say, no, 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 no. For most of the Jewish people at that point, they would be saying, you're not the grapevine, Jesus. We're the grapevine. We've always been compared to the grapevine. You look in Jeremiah chapter uh, 2. In verse 21, here's God speaking through his prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. And he's, God says, But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine from the purest stock, the very best. So God's saying to the nation of Israel, You are the vine. That's how he's describing them at that point in time. And he says, How did you grow into this corrupt, wild vine? Verse 22, no amount of soap or lye could make you clean. I still see the stain of your guilt. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. This is interesting, to say the least, because it's a little different perspective than we're going to have today reading this, right? We read it and we don't think much of the words of Jesus there. We, we like the words, but we don't have that same connection. So for the children of Israel, and that's what these disciples were, they were children of Israel, their identity was in their religion, right? God chose the nation of the Jewish people to be his example of, of through which he would bring connection to the rest of the world through the nation of Israel to God. So there's a lot of pride being a Jew because if anyone else, any one of the other Gentiles, any of the other pagans wanted a relationship with the one true God, they would have to go through the nation of Israel. They would have to convert to Judaism in order to then have that relationship with God that they needed to have. So as a person of the nation of Israel, I would have a lot of pride and my joy really would be rooted in my identity as God's chosen nation. And that's how I would want the rest of the world to see me and know me, is to know that I am the one that God picked, and if you want a relationship with God, you have to come through me, you have to come through my religion, you have to come through the ones that God chose and picked. And the pathway to God 
the rest of you Gentiles, the rest of you godless world, the path to the one true God is through the nation of Israel. And you will not come to God unless you come through us. Their identity was rooted and grounded and founded. Their joy was founded in their identity as the Jewish people, as the children of God's, the, the chosen children of God. So Jesus now says in John 15, I just want you guys to know, we're on our way, we're on our way. They don't all know exactly what's going down, but Jesus kind of unpacked some of this, but he's in his last few hours, he's saying, lean into me, all this stuff's going to be going down. Here's a lesson I want you to learn. I want you to understand how you can have joy in this world in the midst of all the things going on. Here's how you can have joy. You understand this, I am the true vine. Now their heads are kind of spinning a little bit. They're standing there and they're wondering to themselves, okay, wait a minute. No, the nation of Israel is the true vine. And I understand that you're Jesus. I believe in you. You're the son of God. But, 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 but no, this isn't. You're saying that that's a big statement. It's an I am statement of Jesus. It's one of the biggest in John. I am the true vine. Which means Jesus just said, he replaces Israel they are no longer the world's connection to God, but Jesus Christ himself has now put himself in the position of being the connection not only between the Israelites and God, but between all of the world and God. If you want to get to the Father, it's no longer about going through the religion of the Jewish people. It's about going through Jesus Christ. And if you are not connected to Jesus Christ, you are not connected to the Father. This is big. This is huge. So the, 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 they're standing there trying to soak this in, I imagine. And Jesus goes on, and in John chapter 15, we keep reading. We'll read verse 1 again because it's so good. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then he says, he cuts off every branch of mine, that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes branches that do, not bear, or that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And, and in other translations, I, I believe in the ESV it says it this way, you, have, you are already clean because of the word that I gave you. Now, this is an interesting statement because Jesus just used this same idea of cleanliness with the disciples just a couple hours earlier when he had them in the upper room. How many know the story? You can raise your hand at home. How many know the story of uh, the disciple washing the disciples' feet? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Yeah, most of, most of the hands in here going up, and, and I see you, Johnny, at home. Good job raising your hand. Um, Sorry. Do you guys remember Romper Room? I, I don't, I've always wanted, Lisa has this fear, you know, her name was never called out on Romper Room. It was this show, I think it was on PBS or something like that, and, uh, and the, the lady would come up and look into the camera and she would get a, what was supposed to be like a mirror magnifying glass or something, and she would hold it up and she would say, I see Johnny, and I see, oh, is that little Robbie in there? and I see Carol, and I see, you know, and she would go through all this stuff. Lisa has talked to me about her heartbreak because her name never got called out 
on romper room. That's what I feel like saying this morning. I'm looking into the camera, and I see you at home. Thank you for raising your hand. All right, so back to the story. So this story of the disciples and the washing of feet, I probably just really dated myself knowing that I know what romper room is. Dang it. Still didn't. I see Lisa. There you go. Finally, Lisa, you're there. You've arrived. Uh, so let's go back to the story. John chapter 13. Jesus, which we all know, we could teach about this story for months and months probably and not get to the depths of the bottom of this, but we're trying to just hit it quickly this morning to make a point. And, and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, not the place that necessarily Jesus in that culture would ever be serving, any teacher or master, but Jesus humbles himself, he submits himself uh, to those in the room, and, and he serves them. And uh, Jesus goes around, he's washing his disciples' feet, and Simon Peter, bless him, um, he's always got the funniest responses and uh, the most real, probably the one I would relate with the most, uh, just how it is. Um, and Jesus gets to Simon Peter in verse 6, and it says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, no, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. And no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So he's referring to Judas in the room. As the story goes on, Judas betrays Christ. He leaves the room. He calls him out. He kind of runs out of the room, and everyone's like, I guess Judas had to go to the bathroom, and they're still not get, getting what's going on. So, but this story that Jesus, or this connection here that Jesus in John 15 says to them again, just a couple hours later, hey, I want you disciples to know that you are all clean, all right? So you're all there. And why are you clean? Because of my word. So Jesus makes a connection. And, and we also see in the beginning of John, even the use of the word word is referring to Jesus, that they are clean because they have relationship with Jesus. It says in John 1, 1, that the word became flesh. So Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are clean because you have connected with me. You believe in me. You hear my words. And now you're remaining in my words. Therefore, you are clean clean. So he then reminds them because a couple hours earlier again he said all of you are clean. And even this idea for us today as followers of Jesus Christ is if we believe in the word of God, we believe in this book, we believe in what the word says, we believe in who Jesus is, we give our lives to Jesus, there's a time where that connection takes place between us to the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ that then we are cleansed, we are purified, we are made whole, justified is the big word, uh, and, and theologically to say we are set in right standing before God. So we are made clean, and then Jesus says, well, Peter says, well, wash all of me. And he says, well, not all of you need to be washed, just your, your feet. 
So that's a, really an analogy to us as believers that daily as we walk and strive to follow after God, we're in relationship with Him, but maybe our feet get a little dirty in the sin of the world. We said something we shouldn't have said that day. We re- responded in anger during the day. We thought something we shouldn't thought. We, we, whatever it is, the, the lie, the sin, little things creep up, and our feet are kind of dusty and dirty from the going about the business of our lives in that day and we need to ask for repentance but we don't need to get saved again at the end of every day because Jesus we've already believed in him he's our savior he's already cleaned us he's already washed us but there might need to be a daily repentance to him not might be there should be a daily repentance to him so Jesus is teaching that lesson in the foot washing but now we're in this idea of vines and branches and you say now how does this fit in what happens here Let's go back to verse 2 of John chapter 15. I'm running you around today, but we're going somewhere. So verse 2 says this, The gardener, God, he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. Now there's a word in here that I want to draw our attention to because sometimes we read this and it paints a picture for us right from the beginning that God is this gardener that he's going around and he's looking for things to get rid of. Okay, we'll address some of this when we get down to verse 5 and verse 6 because it talks about tossing the branch to the side. We'll get there eventually, but we won't get there today. But what I want you to understand in this first verse is what I believe is happening and what I see happening here is a progression of a believer as they become uh, followers of Jesus Christ and they become grafted into the vine and what it looks like and how that progresses because you have them say he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that they will produce even more I believe there's a progression taking place these word cuts off it comes from the Greek word called iro the most common translation of the word iro is not cuts off it is actually takes up So when you look through your scripture, you'll see it in other verses, and maybe ones you're familiar with would be, you take up your cross and follow Jesus. That same word that's used there. When Jesus is healing the lame man, he says, take up your mat and follow me. Same word that's used there. It's this word, take up. Now, there's also translated in some ways, take away. So when some of the translators would look at this, they would say, oh, what's he doing? Well, he's he's taking that branch away, so they translate it, he cuts it off. But I think that's a poor translation. I would see this as the translation is he takes it up. Now, what's the difference? What's it mean? If you're reading this, you begin to see, here is the father, the gardener, and Jesus the vine. So if we begin to picture ourselves in relationship with Jesus, that we are the branches, and that apart from Jesus and apart from God, we can do nothing. It takes a while for us sometimes to realize this, right? You can go a long ways through life trying to do it your own way, right? You can go through life and you you strive to be a fruit bearer, like you can look at people who have a relationship, that don't have a relationship with Christ, and they look like they could be fruitful, right? Have you ever noticed that? You see someone, they seem like they've got it all together, but they're they're not going to church, they don't have a relationship with God, but it looks like they've got everything in order. They're trying really hard on their own, and even look fruitful, or those who, there are those who are 
say they're followers of Jesus Christ, but really are not followers of Jesus Christ. Look at someone like Judas, who looked to the part, was walking along with the disciples, was with Jesus all those years, the same amount. He's even got a position in the church. He's like Chad Funkhauser. He's the treasurer, right? He's the treasurer of the disciples. No offense, Chad. Uh, this isn't about you being Judas, okay? Chad's a good guy. He loves Jesus. But So here's Judas in this relationship with him, and he looks like he's got all the markings of a good, fruit-bearing Christian, but yet he is not in Christ. All right. So imagine we get to a place where we recognize that we are not in Christ. And I'm a branch, and I realize I can't do anything apart from Christ. My sin has made me dirty and filthy and nasty. And I am in the mire, I am in the muck, and I cannot save myself. I can't do anything to save myself. In that moment, I turn my eyes to the gardener, and I cry out and say, I need your help. And here's a picture of God, the gardener, who looks down and he sees a branch that's in the dirt, that's in the mess, that's not connected into the vine, and he leans down and the gardener takes up the branch. The gardener purifies the branch. The gardener cleanses the branch of all the sin. All the branch did, the branch did nothing but recognize that the branch could not do it on its own. It was going to die apart from needing salvation through God and His Son. The branch acknowledges and then God does the work. The gardener bends down, takes up the branch, lifts it out of the dirt, cleans the branch off, and then takes the branch and He grafts the branch into the vine who is Jesus Christ. And now the branch has life. And when we read this verse in this way, we can see Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. My Father is the gardener. The gardener takes up every branch of mine that does not bear fruit. You see the difference here? That the gardener is not cutting that off and discarding it, but I believe we're seeing right here a progression of when we began as followers, or before we're followers of Jesus Christ, as we began as humans to recognize we cannot live this life on our own. That no matter what kind of fruit we think we're producing, it is not eternal fruit, it's not long-lasting, and we're just kind of spinning our wheels, and we don't have joy in our life, and we're trying to find joy in all kinds of things, but we can't make that connection with eternal joy. And what we have here is that joy means, make sure I get this right, I don't want to confuse anyone, let alone myself, joy means that in the purifying, we can praise God. Or we praise God in the purifying. That the reason, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a foundation of joy is because we can go back to the beginning. No matter what's going on, we can go back to the beginning and we can say, I have a gardener, God, who looked down at me in my despair, in my dirt, in my filth, in my shame, and he chose to bend down and pick me up out of the dirt and out of the mess 
And out of my distress, and he chose to love me so much that he chose to care for me by grafting me into his son, Jesus Christ, so that now I don't have to walk this life on my own, but I have the nourishment and the power that comes through Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ, and I have all of that, and I am now grafted into the vine. I am now grafted into the family of God. I am adopted as a family member of God because the gardener cared for me. Give God praise. Give him praise for that. That's what it means. So, so, so think of this, church, because I'm, I'm about done. The, the youth are going to be just crazy. Like, what? He finished that early? Yeah. We'll, we'll beat everyone to the restaurants today. I want you to know this. One point today. One point. I don't usually have much more than that anyway. I can't hold that much in my brain. But listen. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a foundation. What's that mean? When I struggle through life and when I hit hardships in life, when my finances are falling apart, when my, when, when my marriage is falling apart, when I, when I lost my job, when I'm having trouble with my children, or, or maybe it's not parents having trouble with their children, it's children having trouble with their parents. Maybe it's a relationship issue with a friend or your neighbor across the street. No matter what it is, maybe it's a sin issue that's just overtaking your heart and you feel overwhelmed, you feel burdened, you don't know what to do. The trials of life, you know? Have you been there? You just feel like you're being knocked on this side and this way and that way and it doesn't feel like you can ever get moving forward, doesn't feel like you can ever gain any traction and then you come in the church and the pastor says, let's have the joy of the Lord today and you're thinking, I don't feel joyful, I don't want to celebrate today, I don't want to have that praise in my heart, you don't know, if you understood what was going on in my life, you could not have joy in your life and I'm telling you, joy means that we praise God because of the purifying that took place. That's the foundation. Then I can say, no matter what's going on in my life, I can look through the weeds, I can look through the mess, I can look through the storm, and I can look down to my foundation, and I see at the bottom of that, God, the Father, the gardener, has cleaned me off, and He set me in right standing, that no matter what happens in this temporal world, I have an eternity set aside before me me by a father who loved me enough to lift me up out of the dirt and save me. That's a foundation of joy. It's a foundation. So no matter what, we can always praise God because we have a foundation of joy. Purification happens. Now the question is, have you been purified? Because you'll never have that foundation of joy. You'll never find that strength. The joy of the Lord will never be your strength if you're not in the Lord. You have to be grafted into the vine. And that happens first through submission. Maybe first through recognition. And then submission to say, Okay, God the Father, whatever you want to do to me at this time, I need you. In his first step is he leans down into the mess 
And he sent his son Jesus Christ into the mess of this world to save you from your sins. While we were yet sinners, while we were still in the mud, while we were still messed up, God looked down and he said they need a savior. And he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. And while we were still in the mud, Jesus died for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. So we acknowledge that we can't have salvation apart from Jesus Christ. For those Jewish men that day, they realized it wasn't their religion that was going to bring them salvation. It was Jesus Christ. Jewish religion would not get them there, but Jesus' relationship would. And they submitted. Those disciples believed in Jesus Christ and they were cleansed. They were purified. They were made clean through Jesus. And we have that opportunity today. If you're watching at home or you're watching later on in the week in your car, you're driving somewhere, sitting in your office, wherever you're at, or you're here in this room today, I want you to know it begins there. You will never have a foundation of joy if you don't start with the first step of purification. You cannot clean yourself up. Only the gardener can. And all you have to do is recognize that you are powerless without Him. And you submit. And you say, God, I give my heart and my life to You. I put my life into Your hands. And through Your Son, Jesus Christ, I'm going to believe in what He's done on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to give my life over to Him and to His care. And I am but a dirty branch. But I can be made a beautiful, fruit-bearing branch when you graft me into Jesus Christ. So we ask Him today. So number one, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here today, you just maybe need to do some purifying, a little daily cleansing. That you need to ask God and say, God, I've been walking in sin, and, and yeah, I believe in you. You've kind of made me, or not kind of, you have made me all whole before you. And if I died today, I would go to heaven. But I've been walking in some sin, and I've been walking in some things where I haven't necessarily heeded to your word, Lord. So I need to ask for forgiveness for that today. And I just want to be the best branch that I can be in you. Lord, purify me again. Cleanse me again today. Wash my feet today, Lord. Or secondly, maybe you're someone that doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. You've never submitted. This is an opportunity to pray and make Him Lord of your life.